0: If you haven't picked up a copy of the schedule, uh, there are still uh, copies available on the ledge at the AV booth, so be sure to grab that. We are in a class that's gonna be going through Ruth and Esther. So we're two quarters. We had Jonathan Reeves take us on a whirlwind tour through Jeremiah, running as fast as he could to get to the end of the book. Uh, I've been given the challenge of going through Ruth and Esther in a quarter. Okay, so we got 13 weeks to cover this material. Hopefully, I can get through it. Um, But we're going to start off uh, just with a little bit of introduction and uh, looking at these books. Um, I want to start off with some similarities between the two books of Ruth and Esther. So Ruth and Esther are two very unique books in the Bible. Uh, They're two books that are written about strong female characters. They're both... Uh, kind of showing the example of God's providence without really mentioning God at all in the books, right? We know that in Esther, God's not mentioned at all. In Ruth, God is mentioned, but God's not really, you know, it's not explicitly written that he's impacting things, right? He's not specifically talking to people. He's not talking through prophets in Ruth. Both of these books record and give us examples of people living in their time and how they react and act and, you know, the things that they do, living in that time without any direct, uh, you know, commentary from God or direct interaction with God. And that's unique when you think about the, the scriptures and, and the topics that we've covered, uh, you know, previously, before. Um Both of these books deal with prejudices and involve strong female characters that have to face these prejudices and how they do that. Um, Both are written in very interesting ways. So both of these books, uh, when we get to Esther, we'll talk about, uh, you know, how Esther is written, but we'll begin tonight talking about Ruth and how that book is written. And they're both written in a very interesting literary fashion. That kind of helps us understand uh, these books a bit better. So... That being said, let's uh, look at the previous topics of study. I'm beginning with this because we're going to start with Ruth. And Ruth takes place during the time period of the Judges. So I wanted to go back and see how long has it been since we've been in Judges. Well, it's been two years. So hopefully you remember Brother Leland's class when he took us through the book of Judges. So it's been two years. So we've covered quite a bit. In between this, uh, that time and now, and I want to kind of give us a reminder of that. Um, so as far as Ruth goes, where are we in the timeline? Well, we're in the time period of the Judges. And so what does that mean? Well, that means anywhere between about 1400 B.C. and 1000 B.C., Why do we not know anything more specific than that? Well, that's because the book of Judges is very difficult to parse out on the timeline. Unlike Daniel, which we studied last quarter, who gives very specific and detailed timing, right? During this king's reign, during this month, of this year, of that king's reign, this happened, right? That's Daniel. Uh, During the time period of the Judges... You have, you know, this judge reigned for this many years. Well, when did that start? Was he the first judge? Was he the third judge? We don't really know, right? And so uh, Judges isn't written chronologically, like some of the other books that we see, like, you know, Daniel isn't necessarily written chronologically, but Daniel pinpoints all those different events with very uh, detailed accounts. And so it's sometime between 1,400 to 1,000. Some would say that it takes place during the... the, uh, rule or the judge uh, period of Ehud, because that's when the Moabites oppressed the nation of Israel for uh, 18 years. Uh, some say it's during Jephthah, but we don't really know. Some would say that it actually occurs towards uh, the later period of the judges because of uh, Ruth's family, right? So Boaz is whose grandfather? Great-grandfather? David, right? King David. He's David's great-grandfather. And so based on that, maybe some people would say it it has to take place later in the book of Judges or during the time period of the Judges. Um, But we're really not told. So it's sometime during that period of the Judges. The location of the book, right? We start off in Moab and then we move to Bethlehem. So we start off outside of God's people, outside of the land that they've taken, and we move back into that land. And, you know, maybe there's some symbolism there about leaving God and then coming back and returning to God, but the text doesn't explicitly say that, so, you know, apply that at your leisure, if if that's encouraging to you. Um, But it's not explicitly stated there, but that's the location of where we are. Why did they go to Moab? They go to Moab because of a famine, right? There's no food. And who has food? Well, Moab apparently has food, so that's where they go. They end up in the land of Moab. All right, so answering the the when, where, and why, I now want to move on to, backtrack a little bit, and see where is Israel at this point? What is the state of the nation of Israel at this point? Well, Israel during the the time of the judges, right? We begin in the time of the judges with Israel conquering the land and they're going through. And in the first chapter, we see this this, uh, tribe conquered their territory, this tribe conquered their territory, this tribe conquered their territory. It's all going great, right? Until you get about halfway through chapter one and then what starts happening? We get a little lazy clearing out the people, right? Uh, This tribe, did some conquering and then, but they let these other tribes live there and it was fine and they worked it out, right? Until you get to uh, the end of Judges chapter one and then into Judges chapter two, where the Lord tells them that you didn't fulfill my command, right? I told you to go into the land and I told you to drive out the nations and you did not do that. And so what's the consequence of that action? Yeah, now it's going to be a problem for you, right? Those people are going to be a problem for you. They're going to lead you away from me. You're going to follow after their gods, and you're going to be oppressed because of it, right? It's going to be a problem. And isn't that the case, you know, that we see throughout the entire scriptures, right? We've seen that uh, throughout, you know, go back to Jeremiah. It doesn't take us that long to get to another time where you didn't listen to me, and now it's a problem, right? Didn't obey God, now it's a problem. Well, same thing here with the children of Israel. They went to possess the land and they stopped short. And so now there's going to be trouble. And part of that trouble is oppression from other nations. But also the book of Judges, we see these cycles over and over and over again of the people of Israel falling away from God, going after idols, and then being oppressed by a nation because of their idolatry until they repent and then they A judge uh, rises up, gives them uh, relief from that oppression, and then we go back into that cycle again, right? There might be a a time of peace. uh, There might be uh, some freedom from the oppression for a little while, but inevitably we go right back into it and we start the cycle all over again, right? Uh, Chapter 2 really summarizes what's going on, verses uh, 11 through 23. I want to read that quickly here because this sets up kind of the the climate of the book of Ruth, the climate of Israel, the climate where we're in, and helps us understand a bit better, you know, the, the types of people that we're talking about and what we're uh, looking at here. Because I think there's a tendency to forget that the book of Ruth takes place in a pretty dark time for Israel, right? So beginning in verse 11 of Judges chapter 2, it says, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord turned against Israel And he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked. And obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved uh, to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord, to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Here we are in Israel, being oppressed, crying out to the Lord because of the oppression and the affliction, and then being saved, right? So that's where we are. Now, is there any change that's occurring there? Do the people care? seems like they care maybe for a little while, and then they go right back into it, right? But remember what this kind of means of turning to the idols and things that are happening, right? That has real-world consequences in the land because when you get to the end of the book of Judges, the last couple chapters of Judges are rough, right? You have a woman that's raped and murdered, She's then, her dead body is cut up and sent to the other tribes to show them what happened. And they say, okay. And so they almost completely eliminate one of the tribes, right? There's infighting. Nobody cares about what God wants. They're just doing whatever they want, right? The book ends, as it begins, with the people are doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes, right? Everybody does whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And so when you get to the end of the book of Judges, you're really depressed, right? It's a sad picture. And then we get Ruth, right? The book of Ruth, which comes right after, during the same time period. Not everyone is acting corruptly in this nation. How do we know that? Well, because Ruth shows us some characters that are doing the right things, right? They care about the right things. They're looking to to complete the right things, to follow the law even. I think there's a, a trap that we all fall into at times of the same thing that Elijah had, right? The same problem that he had of, I am the only one doing right here, right? There's nobody else doing right. Why is it only me and I am alone, And that's not always true, right? We have a very limited view that we can see of the world and our circumstances and the people around us. And we don't always know everything, right? But Ruth helps us understand that there's a bigger picture, right? There's more out there that we may not see. Also, I think there's a a problem that we fall into of, well, if only... You know, it's, it's so bad during our day. If only we lived back during this time, it'd be so much easier, right? The internet has ruined the world. If we lived back in a time where there wasn't internet, it wouldn't be a problem, right? We wouldn't have such a problem with these different things. And, and that's, a, that's a trap, right? That's a trap. There's temptation and sin and problems during any time period, right? This was back during the time of the judges. They didn't have internet but they had a whole lot of problems. It was really bad, right? Um, And so, you know, that's a trap that we can all fall into and something we need to be aware of so that we don't, right? But Ruth, the book of Ruth, (coughs) is kind of a light. And same, same with Esther, right? It's a light that shows us that even in times when things look super dark, there are lights that we can see. So that's the state of israel right and as we talked about the location of where all these things are taking place israel is part of that so we need to we need to understand how that nation is going right now because that's going to have an impact on on the book of ruth and what we're looking at we also need to understand the history of moab a little bit moab the, tr- uh, the nation of Moab originated from one of the daughters of Lot, the eldest daughter, uh, by an incestuous relationship after they escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah. She had a child by her father Lot, and that child was Moab, and that's where the nation comes from. You also remember that Balak was the king of Moab when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and were wandering Balak was afraid because Israel was going through and conquering nation after nation. Anybody who came up against them, it wasn't going to go well, right? And so Israel was heading towards the promised land, and all the nations that got in their way were getting mowed over. And so Balak wanted to stop this. He didn't want it to to cause him any issues. So what did he do? He went to somebody. Who did he go to? Balaam, right? And then we have the story of Balaam and the... Donkey, right? Okay, yeah. All right, we're getting there. Um, and so what did he want Balaam to do? He wanted Balaam to curse the nation of Israel, and Balaam tried. He did everything he could to try and get it to happen, but it wasn't going to happen, right? He, he blessed Israel. He, he couldn't curse Israel. So Balaam couldn't, couldn't succeed in that. He felt bad for Balak. What did he do instead? Does anyone remember? Yeah, he gave him advice. He's like, okay, this, isn't, this, this cursing thing isn't working. So how do, you, how do you get the nation of Israel? Well, you get the nation of Israel by corrupting them, right? And so how can you corrupt this nation? Well, you can corrupt them by intermarrying and then you know, leading them astray with your gods, right? Leading them astray. And so that's what happens. Uh, you have the sin of Peor in Numbers chapter 22, uh, consequences you know, of that going through 25, Uh, This is Balak uh, through to the sin of Peor. And the the people do intermarry with Moab. And that's a big problem, right? Pestilence comes upon them, right? God's wrath comes upon them. And the one that saves them from God's wrath is Phineas, right? Phineas, the priest, goes in, slays the man and woman with a spear, right, Um, to sate God's wrath and keep them from destruction. But that's something that the children of Israel learned, right? They learned through this process uh, about intermarrying with other nations and being corrupted by their idols um, and the consequences of that. Do they remember that all the time? Well, no, we know their history. But then following that, you have Eglon of, Eglon of Moab, who uh, is in Judges chapter 3, right? We don't particularly know the time frame of Ruth and where it stacks up with this, but this is one of the earlier judges, Ehud is. And during that time, Moab has oppressed Israel for 18 years until Ehud comes along and saves them, right? He kills the king of Moab. They destroy the uh, defeat the army and are given relief from that oppression, but Moab rules over Israel for 18 years. And it's not a kind rule, right? They're being oppressed. They're being afflicted. Uh, they're, there's trouble and there's pain uh, during that time. So why do I bring that up? Well, one of our main characters is a Moabite woman, right? From Moab. That's Ruth. So there might be some things that might occur because of that, right? There might be some problems that might arise because she is from this nation outside of Israel, an enemy nation, right? So, the book of Ruth. We have three main characters. We have Ruth, obviously. We have Naomi, right, who is Ruth's mother-in-law. We have Boaz. And so, that's our three main characters. And This story is very interesting because it's written with great symmetry. Um, Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to tell you, right? Because this is a class and I'm teaching it. So let me tell you what I mean by the great symmetry that we see here. Uh, Chapters 1 and 4, right? Ruth is four chapters. Chapter 1 and 4 are very symmetrical. Chapter 1 begins with a great tragedy. And then it's followed up with an act of loyalty. And then in chapter 4, what we see is we see an act of loyalty followed up by redemption, restoration, right? We uh, The saving of the family. So that's, that's what the book begins with. It begins with a great tragedy, like any great story, right? Act of loyalty, and then it ends with a great act of loyalty that, that ends up saving the family, right? Restoring the family. Well, then you get to the middle. And the middle two chapters are very interesting because they're basically the same thing over again in two different situations, right? So you start off with Ruth and Naomi. They're making a plan. And then somehow, Ruth ends up interacting with Boaz. You know, some, some in... The third chapter that's intentional, and in the first chapter, or in the second chapter, that's not exactly intentional. But there's this interaction here, right? Again, showing God's providence throughout the book. Uh, there's an interaction with Boaz, and then we follow that up with uh, Naomi and Ruth rejoicing, and then there's this moment of, okay, well now you know we did what we planned. Now we have to wait and see, right? So. That's the great symmetry of the book of Ruth. And hopefully, we can see that as we go through this study together. Uh, Again, we'll start the first chapter in just a few minutes, and then over the next four weeks, or three weeks, uh, see the rest of it play out. But I think that's very interesting, this, this symmetry that we see here, because how do you remember a great story? Do you remember every story that you hear or that you read? That you see. Not really, right? There's I've seen a lot of movies and TV, right? I grew up in the age of TV and movies, uh, and I've seen a lot. I do not remember many of them. You know, I have limited space in my brain, and if they don't stick with you, they don't stick with you, right? But there's certain ones that you remember. And the ones that you remember are because they're written in a specific way so that you will remember them, right? There's some, you know, big reveal or some twist or something that really catches your attention. And this story is written in a way where it sticks with you when you read through it because of how it's written, right? Because of the progression that it's made, because of the symmetry, it makes it very easy for you to remember that there's this tragedy, that there's this loyalty, that there's This planning and this preparation and, oh, it worked out great for him. Okay, great. And then there's another act of loyalty and and it all ends in a big happy ending, right? Makes for a great Hallmark movie, right? There have been a lot of movies made about Ruth. There have been a lot of movies made about Esther. I think that's intentional because it's very easy material to turn into a movie, right? It's already written for you. Granted, they add a whole lot of stuff. Right, There's no great romance plot in the book of Ruth in the Bible. I'm sorry if that's what you were looking for. Um, right? We don't have them going on a first date or anything like that. But it's written in a way that you remember it. Right? It sticks with you. And I think that's very interesting. Uh, Ruth shares this with uh, Esther, a very interesting writing style, but we'll cover that in the book of Esther when we get there. So, Let's move on to chapter 1 of Ruth. Um, Ruth chapter 1. We begin in Moab. <clears throat> and we're in Moab and we're introduced to a family of Jews that are in, uh, in Moab because there's a famine in the land. And uh, the husband's name is Elimelech. He comes with his wife, Naomi. And their two sons, Malon and Chilion, and they were from Bethlehem, and now they enter the land of Moab, and when they get there, uh, at some point in time, Elimelech dies, and so she's left there with her two sons. And So what does this wife and her two sons do? Well, they carry on, right? They carry on after the, the patriarch, the father, has died, and the two sons find wives, and those wives are Moabite women, right? Um, and one's name is Orpah, the other's name is, is Ruth. And, you know, when, when I've gone through this book before, it seems like you really rush through this part of, you know, Elimelech and his wife go to Moab, they, their two sons are there, their sons marry, and then everybody dies, and then they go back to Jerusalem, or to Bethlehem, right? Um, but there's time that's happening here, Right? And the funny thing is, is all the other classes I've been through on Ruth don't mention the amount of time. It's a significant amount of time that happens here, right? Uh, the two sons don't just marry and then immediately die. They marry and then 10 years later they die. So when in researching, you know, for the class, uh, some people were saying that, oh, Ruth, it says she's a young woman. She was probably about, you know, 14 to 24 when she married met Boaz. It's like, uh, that would make her four when she married one of the sons? I don't think the math adds up there. Um, but it's a significant amount of time. Why is that important? Well, when the sons die, you have the daughters-in-law going with Naomi to when she starts to return home, right? They're traveling with her. And that would be odd to me if they married her sons, The sons immediately die, and then she's leaving, and they're all heartbroken to to break up the family, right? You would think if that was the case, they would be, okay, well, we'll just go home. But no, there's been an amount of time here, 10 years, to build this relationship between these women. And so the sons die. Uh, Again, you know, in doing research, why do the sons die? Why does Elimelech die? I don't know. It doesn't say. Uh, You'll find people that will say that, oh, well, they, the wives, uh, they were Moabite women and they convinced them to fight against the Israelites and they got killed. And so it's a punishment from like, uh, I don't, you know, you don't see that in the text. Um, You know, oh, well, they were part of, you know, the people that went away from the, the land of God and God's punishing them because they left the children of Israel to, well, we don't read that here. So we don't know. Um, But it doesn't matter, right? They still died, and that's still hurtful to Naomi, right? You can understand Naomi's position. She's lost her husband. Ten years later, she loses both of her sons. And now she is a single elderly woman in a foreign land. So how are you going to support yourself during this time? Can't remote work, right? Right? Um, it's going to be really hard. And so what would you do in that position? I mean, I think we would do what Naomi does, which is we'd go home, right? Now, that's the most logical step is, well, this is going to be tough. I might as well go home because there maybe I can find some, some help, some assistance, right? Um, and so Naomi's plan is to leave and, and head home Her daughter-in-laws are going with her. Verse 7 says, so she departed from the place where she was. And her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Daughters-in-law are coming with her. Naomi knows this is going to be rough. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. So I don't want you to have to come with me and go through all this. Stay here, right? Right? Go back to your families. Go back to your gods. You know, stay here. I'm just going to go by myself. Um, And Orpah does, right? Orpah stays. But I don't want us to think that Orpah stays because she just doesn't care, right? Obviously, Orpah cares. In verse 14, they're weeping together. They're lifting up their voices together. They're kissing the mother-in-law. They're clinging to her, right? There's obviously... Emotions involved here. This is a relationship that they care about, that they don't want to break up. But because of the circumstances, they are, right? Orpah decides to stay, to go back to her family, to go back to her gods. Ruth does not. Why? We're not told. Not specifically. Um. But Naomi tries to encourage her even to go, right? Encourage her to go. Behold, your sister in law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister in law, right? Go. Just go. It'll be better. Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth's not going to leave, right? Something over these 10 years has connected Ruth to Naomi, to Naomi's family, maybe traditions that Naomi brought with her when they came to Moab, right? You're talking about Israelites living in Moab. I don't believe that they're not gonna have some kind of traditions that they're gonna be following here, right? Because even the the Jews that weren't following the law were still doing traditions. It's part of their culture, right? So there's something going on that has connected Ruth and Naomi tightly. Right And Ruth, whether it's a situation that's not great here in Moab, whether, whether she sees something better with Naomi and with her people, there's something that ties her closely to Naomi. And so she refuses to go. She's determined. And when Naomi sees that she's determined, she doesn't try to stop her. Right? Okay, here we go. And they go back home. When they go back home, they're going back to Bethlehem, and they're not going back victorious. Um, we did it. We found oil, right? This, there's no triumphant return, right? No, this is we're coming back. Oh, hey, look, it's Naomi. Where's Elimelech? You know, and that then you got that hurts. Where's your where's your sons? Oh, that hurts. Um, and, And Naomi is sad. She's sad. She has grief, right? She's down. She's hurting. In a lot of ways, it sounds like she's defeated. She doesn't have hope. And so she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, or bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? That's a very sad statement to make, right? let's be honest, sometimes we're in that place, right? Sometimes we're hurting. Sometimes we've had a lot of tragedy heaped upon us, and it is painful, and it is hard, and it's a weight that we have to carry, and it's not pleasant, and we go through it because we have to. But sometimes we end up in this situation, right? I mean, that's why you have those psalms that talk about being in this similar situation, right? I've lost everything. You know, I and they are bitter against the Lord. They are empty, as Naomi says. Does that mean that's it? It's done. That person's empty? Okay. Move on. I mean think about that. We interact with people that may be in this place. Right? So so what do we do when we encounter someone who you say, you know, "Oh, how's it going?" and they say, "It's horrible. I am empty. I have nothing." Right? I'm I'm done. It's I'm wasted. Right? It's just been tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. That's part of what's so compelling about this book, right? What's compelling about Ruth, what's compelling about Esther, is these are real people going through real things that we go through on a regular basis, right? You see people in this position. You see people who are hurting because of things like this, right? Sometimes what this person needs... What people like Naomi need is exactly what Naomi got, which is somebody to be there with her. Right? What did Ruth do when Naomi said all this? Well, it doesn't say that she said anything, right? It just says Naomi says all this. But where is Ruth? She's there, right? She's there. So when Naomi says, I lost everything, I'm empty, it's done, I have nothing left, well, she does have Ruth, right? She does have Ruth. And sometimes we do that, sometimes we speak in hyperbole, say, I got nothing left, but I have all of you, right? I have my brethren, I have God. Even when I forget that, I still have those things. Sometimes there's not words that can be spoken that have as much of an impact as just the presence of the people that are there that will support you, that will carry you, that will keep you going, right? Any comments? When you return home and it's a sad situation... Maybe you expect the community to come in and help you out. Right? Coming back home, maybe my family will come and help. Remember when this is. Time period of the judges, right? What kind of history do we have? Well, not the best. And are people acting very helpful right now? Not really, right? Um. Not a lot of handouts being given. I mean, Judges ended with a chapter that sounded very similar to Sodom and Gomorrah before they were destroyed, right? So, probably not going to get a whole lot of help. But also, you came back with a Moabite woman. And our history with the Moabites has not been great, right? So, there's probably going to be some trouble that could happen, right? You're in this unique situation <laughs> here. Now, I'm not going to go through, like, is there, like, was Elimelech's sons, were they sinful in mar- marrying Moabite women, um, the laws involving that? Obviously, we understand that with the sin of Peor, the children of Israel were not supposed to intermarry with the, with the nations around them. We'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about Boaz and Ruth um, there. But there is a tendency that we see throughout the scriptures that when Israel is given a law, they take that law and then they twist that law in some way where they're kind of following the law, but really it's more what they want to do anyway right? And we see that in a lot of different ways, right? You can see that through, all throughout the the history of the Israelites. Uh, we talked about it when we went through the last few chapters of Daniel and uh, the revolution uh, revolution of the Maccabees, right? When they revolted, there all of a sudden came this change of like, okay, now the Israelites have to keep all these different feasts. You have to keep all the different stuff. You have to follow God. You have to obey God, and and only obey God, and we're very violently and militaristically against anybody who's not following God, right? So we had that happen. Um, But they weren't doing it the right way, right? When we get to Jesus' time, they're, they're they're not doing it the right way. They don't actually follow the law for the right reasons or even do it in the right way, but they do it in the way that feels comfortable to them, right? Because that has some kind of significance. And the same thing happens here. Obviously, during the time period of the judges, somebody's talking about the law in some kind of way. They're not following it, but there's some knowledge that's occurring, right? When you're being oppressed by other nations, there's some other things that occur as well, right? And that would be, uh, we don't like these people, right? There's prejudice, there's hatred that comes up. I mean... They don't like people from Moab, and people from Moab don't like them, right? And it's because you have warring kingdoms that are fighting, and when people are fighting and being oppressed, those feelings generate, and you take it out on anybody that you label as X, right? (coughs) That can happen to Christians too, by the way. You know, if you meet someone, they say, oh, yeah, I'm an atheist. You go, yep, you're a horrible human being. I got it. Yeah, great. Right? Maybe not. Right? That's a, a shortcut that our brains do, right? We, we summarize things and then put them in a category, right? This is a category of person that I will not like. is a category of a person. That, right? Um, and that's not good, right? It's not a good way to be. We have to be very careful with that. And we'll see some of the consequences of those types of prejudices and things uh, as they come up in the next chapter and uh, continue on. Because there's some real danger that occurs in Ruth. You didn't think that we'd go to Ruth and then we'd be talking about possible danger, right? Um, that We save that for Esther, right? Esther has the danger, right? Ruth is just a love story. It's great. No, there's some danger involved in Ruth that I think we don't always think about. Um, but... Are there any other comments? Yes, Brian. Mitch, I just thought about, uh, I thought about Romans chapter 2, where it talks about the Gentiles being outside the law, but when they do the things of the law, they have that law unto themselves. And I just think about what a powerful lesson it would have been you know, during a time of national faithlessness to see somebody who was a Gentile, who was a Moabitess, who is keeping the law better than most of them were. You right. know, who is displaying some of those traits, the faithfulness, the loyalty, you know, even, even allegiance to God when so many other people weren't. Yeah. And what a lesson that should have been to them. Yeah, it's it's true. The the light really is shines when you see that, right? Because it's the darkness that's all around that makes it so much brighter, right? Um, and I think that kind of goes to show why, I mean, at least to me, it makes sense why this book occurs in between Judges and Samuel, right? Not only is it during that time period, but also you kind of need the break for your own emotional state, right? To get through and to get to Samuel where, okay, now we're, we're also not following God again. And so we got to get through all this again, right? It gets bad again in Samuel. Um, but there's light, right? Just like Elijah was told, you know, there's this giant group of people that you don't even know about who haven't bowed their knee to Baal, Right? there's people that you don't know that are following me and and that happens here we read through the book of judges and it seems very bleak and very rough but there are points of light uh, and Ruth is one of those all right thank you very much uh, next time we'll move on to chapter 2